My name is Benjamin Summers. Uh, I was saved when I was six years old. I was saved, I cried out to Jesus Christ who saved me by grace through faith in Him and the love of the Father who uh, raised Him from the dead by the Spirit in order to defeat sin in this world and in my heart. I think that this is the most important part of the story because everything that happens afterward is how God has taught me about His goodness, His faithfulness, and His righteousness. And uh, no matter whether or not I was saved when I was six or I was saved when I was 27, uh, the Bible tells me that God has called me out of sin before the foundations of the world in order to bring glory to himself through my faith in Jesus Christ. And so I know that everything that has happened in my life up until this point and will happen until I meet Jesus Christ uh, is done for my good and in turn his glory. I know there's meaning to it all. Ten years old, I was saved when I was six, and when I was nine or ten years old, I uh, became heavily involved in sexual sin of uh, various degrees and various activities. That started to create a lot of guilt in my life. I started to live uh, two lives: a life where I was trying to pretend that everything was okay, and a life where I was dealing with the misery that this guilt created in my life. But the degree of pleasure that I was experiencing because of the lifestyle that I was participating on this side of things, I continued to participate in that uh, in spite of the guilt that it brought me. And the agony because of that guilt began to lessen as I continued in that behavior because my desires began to change. Uh, participating in spiritually positive things became less of a joyful experience for me and more of a chore. Uh, I began to stop listening to uh, the people that God had put in my life, the people who cared for me, uh, stopped listening to my parents and my teachers, and I started listening to that voice inside my head that was telling me to seek out those things that were giving me so much pleasure. You got your babies, I got my hearses, every blessing comes with sad curses, I got my vices, got my vice verses. Uh, that behavior led into, uh, into people who encouraged those type of things, and so it just kind of escalated. By the time I was 14, I was smoking weed with my friends. Uh, by the time I was 15, I had taken my first drink of alcohol, and my first drink of alcohol made me an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic at my first drink. But for the grace of God, it is alcohol in my life that would have destroyed me. By the time I was 19, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I mean, lying to everyone, manipulating people, stealing from stores, my parents, family. Uh, everyone and everything was in my life in order to allow me to indulge in the things I wanted to indulge in. By 21 and 22, I was getting kicked out of my house from the places that I lived in. Uh, 
community, I spent two months in a program called Team Challenge. Uh, it was a faith-based program, and they preached Jesus Christ to me. A Jesus Christ that I knew. And it was at this moment that a lot of my, at this moment in Team Challenge, that a lot of my, um, my boundaries uh, were broken down. Like the walls were broken down for my, and I couldn't justify myself anymore. And so I left Team Challenge after, it's a 14-month program, and I left after two months uh, because both I and my family thought that it had been the most sober I was since I was 15 years old, so we thought I was all right, you know? And like uh, about two months after leaving Team Challenge, I had, I had drank again. I was hiding it from him, but I started drinking again. Wind could be my new obsession. Wind could be my next depression. When goes anywhere it wants to, wishing that I learned my lesson. You know, they wanted to help me, and I kind of wanted to not do it, but not really. And so I had gotten so involved in uh, with some people that I was hanging out with and drinking with and, you know, smoking weed with and just kind of general partying atmosphere that I had forgotten about the fact that I didn't want to do this anymore. The, the, the guilt was building up and building up and building up and I was just trying to drown it the best I could, you know? And at the same time, trying to do the right thing. So I would stop drinking for, you know, a week or two and then it would just get worse, you know? And um, so I ended up going to jail for the billionth time. Going to jail at that point, I knew. It was the second time I had gone to jail in Los Angeles, and it would be the second time I would be extradited from California to go back to St. Louis to face charges that I was doing there. And I knew that I didn't want to live anymore. Girl, you my broken heart. Everything seems to fall apart. Everything feels rusted over. Tell me that you're there. I know that there's a meaning to it all A little resurrection every time I fall You got your babies, I got my hearses Every blessing comes with a set of curses I got my vices, got my vice verses I got my vice verses I ask you this morning that our faith would not rest in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. That there'd be a demonstration of your presence and of your spirit this morning. I pray against the enemy, his works and effects, his desire to thwart what you want to do here this morning and what you are doing. And I ask that you would open our eyes to see your grand redemption story. And God, we love you. We thank you in, in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. 
So there's this danger that's present, even right here, even right now, that, that we're, we're here. Like, can I just open our eyes to that? Like, the, the, the verse that the video ended with, ended with this reality that we could be walking a road that seems so right. And you're so convinced it's right. But it says, in the end, it leads to destruction. It leads to this, this reality that we begin to abandon um, our creator. We begin to abandon our created purposes. Like why we actually exist. And as you heard in Ben's story, we begin to compromise those things. We begin to give reasons as to why we can go about behaviors that God's like, this is all we can lead to your destruction. So I want to talk about destruction for a minute, okay? And then, and then we'll look at some, some aspects of, of the redemptive side of things. But, but I, want to, I want to look in this passage um, in Luke chapter 15. And I want to talk about components of the road to destruction. Read with me. Um, Verse 11, it says this, Luke 15, verse 11, and he said, this is Jesus talking, there was a man who had two sons, okay, so familiar story for probably many of us, the story of the prodigal son, there's a man who had two sons, continue reading, and the younger of them said to them, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them, okay, so the first component of the road to destruction is greed, so here's this younger brother who, who, who goes to his father. It's, it's, it's likely this guy's like a teenager, okay? So he's not married, okay? And he's the younger brother. So we know um, that the older brother is the one who gets um, two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother is going to get a third of the inheritance. And what he does is he goes to his father and he says, I want it now. Right? You, you, you see that? What does he say? Father, give me the share of property. So, so oh, here's what's interesting. Um, several years back, Danielle and I took a trip um, to Colorado backpacking. Now, I guess you could say it was a tad dangerous. I don't know. We had to put our food in a, in a bear canister. Um, you know, so I guess like, there was some danger that you know, bears might eat our food, and I guess us or whatever. And so um, you know, we weren't super concerned. Um, and uh, on, on top of that, like our parents were like, you know, you really should write up some papers that would just in case something would happen, you know, the whole last will and testament deal. Like, you know, nothing will probably happen, but just in case, like, and so, so we did it. Like, we uh, went online, and there's like a form you fill out, and it pumps out this deal, and, and it's like, you know, what happens to Mikhail? What happens to Tobin in the event of our death? What happens to our stuff? What happens to all of these things in the event that, that our lives would end? Okay, so, so essentially, here in this moment, this younger brother is going to dad and saying, Dad, I really would prefer that you would be dead. I want my inheritance now. Okay, it, it, listen. It's a sense of entitlement, is it not? It's a sense that I have a right to something. 
Even in, even in Ben's story, he talks about this pattern of, oh, I want more, I want more. And that's the way sin is, is it not? It's just like, it, it lures you a little bit and a little bit and a little bit to where you're not happy. And you're like, I want more, I want. And then, well, here's what we do. We get ourselves to believe the fact that we deserve that. And we can justify that. But here's the deal. The son, he was abandoning his identity. He was abandoning his identity as a son in this selfish pursuit, in this pursuit of give me what's to be mine. But we got to be really careful as Christians going to the Father with the attitude that I have some rights and you deserve to give me, you, you owe me something. He was greedy. But look at the next, um, or actually, continue in verse 12. It says, um, the second thing, um, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Okay, so, so the second component is the pursuit of personal advancement. Okay, now that, that might seem a little weird at first, but let me, let me explain what I mean. Because, because here, in this moment, the, the younger brother had one thing in mind. His own pleasure. okay. Why? What did he say? Give me what's to be mine. But check this out. In that culture, in that day, property and estate was directly tied to identity. Okay, so your worth was tied into how many cattle you have, how much land you have, your possessions. And so when the son comes to the father and says, give me the share of property, here's what he's saying. I want you to destroy your identity and your life for me. So the younger brother, what is he doing? He's pursuing personal advancement at the destruction of the entire rest of the family. Ben did that. Did you not? He did that. It's a personal advancement. We do that in our lives, okay? But check this out. The word property in this passage, do you know what the word is? It's the word bios. For life. So he's saying, Father, I want you to destroy your life. Is that not a picture of the cross? Is that not a picture of the Father, his willingness to give up his life? For the ultimate redemption. Ben's dad's actually going to come up and share a bit about that here in a, a little bit later. For the ultimate redemption. That this is exactly what Jesus did. And, and here's what's interesting. The Father, I mean, we, we don't get all of everything in the Bible. I mean, not, not all of the dialogue. I'm sure we can speculate some things. But like, the Father, you don't see a fight, right? It's just like, sure, here, here you go. What? But, but I wonder if in the wisdom, there, there might have been this sense of the Father knowing that, that ultimately it's going to take some bad roads, some bad decisions to get you to actually come around to see 
what I have in store. To see what it means to have your identity wrapped up not in yourself and not in your pursuits, but in your relationship with me. Because here's the deal. He wanted the gifts, not the Father. He, he wanted the Father's presence, his stuff. He didn't want him. He didn't want relationship with him because he was pursuing one thing, his personal advancement. Here's what I want. And let me tell you, the moment we start walking that road of entitlement, the moment we start walking that road of I'm pursuing my plan, my agenda, it's the road to destruction. Big trouble. Big trouble. And keep going. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger brother gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, listen. Number three. He justified his behavior. Okay? Not many days later. So it's one thing to go to the father and, and ask him, um, God, give me my share of property. But even in that, he was very quick to go and just use it and squander it and, and live a life that he justified as it was okay. It's foolish. Proverbs 17, 16 says this. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? I mean, Ben shared that in his story. He shared the idea that the guilt would build up and build up and he would run back to these things to try to suppress the guilt and suppress the guilt and it wouldn't work so he'd run deeper to them and he'd run to other things instead of running to the Father. And it just piled up. It was a snowball effect. We do this all the time. Here's how it looks. We, we pursue something, and then we tag God on it. Okay, here's the example that I've used in the past. Okay, the example I've used in the past is uh, my daughter's very independent. She likes to kind of do her own thing, right? Um, you guys know all that, and you're like, yeah, I'm glad you finally realized that. Can you do something about that and parent a little different? Um, we'll let you hang out with her for a little bit. Um, we'll do some parenting counseling and uh, all you that have, yeah, anyway, let me move on. Um, okay, so um, she's walking ahead of me in the store, right? And here's what she will do. She'll walk ahead of me and she'll glance back. Walk ahead, glance back. Walk ahead, glance back. And what is she doing? She's like, is daddy still with me? Is he still with me? And I'm like, Mikhail, Mikhail. Like, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to go, right? It's, you're supposed to be here, you're supposed to be here. And, um, listen. This is what we do all the time in our, in our walk with the Lord. I'm walking my path, I'm walking my agenda, and I'm justifying my behavior by looking back and saying, God, are you still with me? God, are you still with me? God, are you still with me? And the reality is, is we justify our behavior because that's wrong, is it not? How are we called to live? In pursuit of Him. It's His mission. We're saved out of our story. We're wrapped up into His story. It's His pursuit. It's His plan. We surrender to that. We submit to that. We run to that. We're not, God's not tagging along with us. If you want to live your life, God tagging along with you, let me just tell you this. He's not tagging along with you. 
to the extent that he is, it's his convicting spirit telling you to stop and come back to him and let him lead your life because you're only going to lead it down a path that's going to destroy you. And that's what the, the younger brother did. Verse 13 continues on. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Stupidity. And here's how I define stupidity. Hungering for more of what didn't work before. Or we could call that, what's the word I want? Um, I forgot the word I want. Hey, stupidity, we'll just go with that, right? It's the word I want, it's in my notes. It's, like, this is dumb, is it not? It's like, well, this didn't really satisfy me before, but maybe it will this time. I know I felt awful before, but maybe, okay, it's, it's a road to destruction. It's a road that the loving Father is saying, this isn't what I have for you. I have something better for you. I have something greater for you. Insanity, that's the word I wanted. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Vince, you were thinking it, you just didn't say it. Come on, man, you gotta help me out. Insanity, this, this reckless pursuit. Ecclesiastes Solomon writes, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. And eats his own flesh. Proverbs 27, never satisfied are the eyes of man. Like, when are we going to realize that? When are we going to realize that the things we see, the things we get our hands on, are the things that they cannot satisfy? They can only point to something that's greater. God, get us a little closer today to realizing that. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, he, um, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing, for, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay, check this out. Notice, notice the beginning of it. It says... He didn't have any money left. And on top of that, it was, it was a famine. Okay? He was in a crisis. Do you see that? No money. Doesn't have anything. And even then, there's nothing to buy. He's in a crisis. Now, what does he do? Look, look at the text. What does he do in this crisis moment? He says, I'm going to be my own savior. I've made so many wise decisions up to this point. I can, I can do this. I can get myself out of this. And more than that, he, he, he compromised. How did he compromise? Jews and pigs are not friends. Okay, there was even a saying in the Jewish culture that said, curse be the man who would breed swine. It was an abomination. And he compromised. I mean, why not at this point, right? What's another one? He compromised. 
He thought, I'm going to find a job. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get myself out of this. The very same things that he did to get him there. Began to steal. Nobody was giving him anything is what it said. You know how he was living? He was living according to Proverbs 14 verse 1 that says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The path, the, the path to destruction, when we, live, when we make decisions and we live lives that are destructive to our souls, here's what we're ultimately saying. God doesn't exist. We're pursuing a path that says, I am my own God. And here's the deal. We manage our sin. Okay, here, here's the danger. Can, can I just point some things out to you here real quick? Some of you, and by God's grace, will be convicted. Some of you sit in here today, and, and, and you're, you're in this sin management deal going on, and you're like, I'm not as worse off as Ben was. And, and you're confident that you can maintain that. And you know what? The worst thing that could happen is that you would continue to maintain that. Because here's the deal. In a crisis moment, when you get to the point where you realize, I don't have any money, and there's a famine going on, and you're in this moment of crisis, there's no way you can manage your sin. You have one option. And my fear this morning is that some of us would leave here this morning and we'd be in this place of managing our sin in our lives. We'd be in this place of, of not fully believing in what God calls us to, what God calls us out of the holy life that God calls us to live. And believing that we're better off because our story isn't as bad, but I would, I would propose to you that you're worse off in the, the wishy-washy okayness of maintaining than the absolute bottom of the pit destruction because it's in the crisis moment that God draws you out and listen, and uses your story to redeem so many lives around. Listen, the older brother, there's no redemption for the older brother if the younger brother doesn't walk the road of destruction. Today, God's calling us out of our silly pursuits of destruction into a greater story, into his grand story of redemption. Um, let's watch uh, the second part. This like snowball effect of my behavior is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and yet my mind is kind of like thinking, but God, you know, is here, but God, he does love me, right? And, but I also knew that this hypocrisy that was going in my life was of no value, you know. I could believe in God and Jesus Christ and, and I was preaching it to people in California, you know, while doing cocaine with them, you know, and like uh, drinking with them and partying with them, you know. I was saying, listen, you got to pay attention to this, you know, and because I was, there was a growing need in my life to pay attention to this. Uh -huh.
I had absolutely no love of myself. I had absolutely uh, no love of the life that I was leading. And I remembered, I remember the one who saved me when I was young, the one who said, come to me all you are labor and are heavy laden and I will, you will find rest for your souls. myself anymore I might as well live it for him and so that's what I told him I was like listen I don't want my life anymore if you want it you can have it lend me your eyes I can change what you see but your soul you must keep totally free and I sought forgiveness for my life up to that point my rebellion against his authority in my life and began to worship God in jail. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. My life didn't stop there. The struggle didn't stop there just because God had saved me and he had personally, uh, personally, it expressed his grace to me uh, in a very in a very profound way while I was in jail I had become involved in a church uh, called Bridge of Hope and uh, I had become involved with uh, some friends who were who had been supporting me my whole life or doing their best to support me my whole life I was trying to do what was right but I was still uh, I was still entangled into this sin you know, and like I said, two weeks after I got out of jail, I started drinking again. Four months after that, I was homeless. I had to go move into a transitional house because I couldn't stop drinking. And it's like, things were supposed to get better, but they really got worse. You know, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And like, like even worse than they were before I was in jail. And, and so for the next year, year and a half... I lived in and out of my house, in and out of friends' house, in and out of transitional houses. I lived in my car, you know. Uh, I was sober for times. I went to school for times, completely sober, doing my best to uh, pursue God and to honor God in my life and still battling this and being defeated by my lifestyle that I had entangled myself into until there was a point to where I reached the same point uh, where I had to say something has to be done and I can't do it. And I basically said to God, I said, listen, I cannot deliver myself from these things. Left up to my own devices, I cannot honor you. I cannot serve you, and I will go on doing the things that are destroying me. And I will go on doing the things that you 
say are dishonoring to you and dishonoring to me. Uh, who are you? Who is your creation? You know. And I was like, if you do not take these things away from me, I am going to die. But as the weeks and the months went on, that I continued to seek God, I continued to pursue Him, I continued to do my best to subject myself before Him, to surrender to Him, to open up all of me and give it to Him. Uh, three months later, I had realized that uh, I had realized that I had. I, I had stopped obsessing over these things. I had stopped. Uh, I had stopped desiring these things, and I looked in my heart and I looked into my mind, and I saw that there were no more desire for these things anymore. And at that moment, I knew. And to whatever way that you can feel, you could feel or sense that is tangible. God spoke to my heart, and He told me, "You are now free." And I never looked back. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. The way you invest your love, you invest your life. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. And the way you invest your love, you invest your life. And I can't help thinking that as complicated as life was for me before, it is that simple now. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to reiterate something that I ended with, is that freedom from sin and freedom from the desires, sinful desires, is not absence of those desires. It is subjection to the authority of Jesus Christ. Because of the years I spent losing those battles, I know that it is not, it is not I who can overcome sin in my life. And though I am required to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength and all my body, and I endeavor to do that, that doesn't always involve not sinning. And the struggle is always there. I live in victory because of repentance. That God, who is so graceful, is always ready to forgive us. And in the midst of that forgiveness, we receive grace that changes us into people who are a little bit more capable of resisting the desires that are dishonorable to our relationship with God. And it's not necessarily always experiencing victory in as much as always knowing that everything we are experiencing, we experience through the grace of God so that we may be victorious one day. And so I serve God with all my heart because of who He is first but because of who he's shown himself to be to me. Uh, not only for what he's brought me out of, but what he's brought me into. I've been changed to the point that I don't even remember what it's like to be the person who I used to be. And I give glory to God, who is the only one responsible for that.
Um, Ben's parents are here with us today. I want to um, invite Ben's dad, Bruce, up. And he's going to share um, a little bit of his journey um, with you. So. Dave asked me to come and uh, speak to you just momentarily about uh, the prayer, this process, the greater redemption. And... Um, Uh, I'd like to do that in a few minutes with a different little twist to it, a little different look to it. Um, the Bible teaches, uh, first of all, prayer is just an outstanding, supernatural privilege for us believers. Um, and the Bible teaches to be part of it, to be a part of that. He invited us to be a part of God's work through being a part of prayer. I want to focus on one verse out of all the scripture, the, um, the one verse I want to focus on is about prayer is Philippians 4, 6. And let me read it just quickly. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, I want to focus really, uh, I want you to remember, but in everything, in prayer, with supplication. Um, anxiety that it's referring to in this verse indicates the lack of trust in God's wisdom, sovereignty, and power. This verse speaks to, don't do that. Okay. Delight yourself in the Lord, meditate on his word, and that is a great antidote for worry or anxiety in our lives. Psalms 1-2. But in everything, by prayer, all difficulties that, could, that God allows us into our lives has a purpose. And let me share that with you through this process of my son, Ben. First of all, I am really proud of him, uh, as I am my other two children. But uh, Ben's a remarkable kid. Um, the anxiety came when he decided to go AWOL. You know, I was, a, I was a Christian man. I had a Christian family. I was the spiritual leader. And I was raising my children the way that God had wanted me to raise them. And then I had a kid decided to go AWOL, which created anxiety into me. Uh, I was concerned. I was worried. I was frightened. And one of the things about me is I am, I am a banner waver for God. I have no problem marching into spiritual warfare, waving the banner of righteousness, salvation, God, love, forgiveness. I will do it with little or no stress at all. But this crisis came into my life, as Dave talked about. And I want to also point out to you that I resemble the older brother here in the story. This crisis came into my life, and so as I would normally react to, I was ready to mount up an army to fight this battle. And that army was to, <clears throat> to build up an army of prayer warriors. So I started with me. I started with my wife. Our children were a part of that. My other siblings, Lindsay and Chad. I, uh, I expanded that group to be uh, involved with those who knew us 
who loved us, who our kids grew up together. They loved Ben as much as we loved him. That expanded to uh, other associates, and it eventually expanded to my church at one point. And then uh, um, I went on to do this for several months. It went into years, and I didn't see any improvement or any anything that God was doing. And so I had begun to sink into a dark depression, a depression that I didn't know how to go about getting out of. I told Karen at one point that uh, I needed help myself because of the uh, concerns that I had for my son, Ben. Um, That's where I found myself also in a jail. I found myself in a jail in a, uh, I want to call it an idol in my life. I'd gotten to a point where things weren't any, any better that I had begun to talk to God about quitting. I was really throwing the towel. I was discouraged. My personality changed. I lost my sense of humor. I began to withdraw. I wasn't seeing God do what he was supposed to do because I had, as Dave talked about, I went before God and said, you owe me because I've served you. I've been faithful I'm your child, I've walked with you closely, and I've got the son that's going AWOL. And I began to talk to him about what use of it, because I've got two brothers that are, no different, uh, that are not walking with the God, and my life looked no more different than theirs. And I said, what's the use? This is not what I signed up for me. Believe me, this is what I was talking to God about. And I, and I sank deeper. And then the Lord showed up one day, just like Ben did. God showed up at the right time, at the right place. And as he dealt with Ben, he, God dealt with me as the older brother. He said, what are you doing? Look, I know that you've been faithful. I know that you've walked with me. I know you've served me. I know you're the banner waver. I made you that way. I'm going to use you. That's noble. That's a noble character that I've made in you. But you got to remember, Ben is my battle, not yours. Your job is to love him, accept him. Your job is to reflect Jesus Christ as, as he did when he brought him into the world to accept and love the outcast. That's the heart of the gospel. You got to quit. And so from that point on, I did. And over the past months and years, I look, or after the, over the past months through this process, I had decided that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to fight this battle anymore. It belonged to God. And it was just in recent days, Ben and I were talking in my office. We were talking about, I don't know what we were talking about. It gave me the opportunity to really give him the encouragement and the security that as far as him being at home and Lord and and he re, he mentioned to him he mentioned to the fact that he was kicked out of this house that was right because you know why because I thought that that was a spiritual thing to do and I told Ben that I was going to battle him I was going to be his deterrent and I was going to battle him on it because I could not 
It was my responsibility. How many times did I tell that to my wife? I don't know. He is my responsibility, and God said, no, he's not your responsibility. He's my battle. You love him as Christ loved the world. And then I decided to do that. I, gave, I had this rare opportunity to talk to Ben just in recent days, and that was to... <clears throat> I don't know what's going to happen in his life, what the world's going to do and how he's going to react to it, but here you're loved and you're accepted. That's the new, that's the new challenge God's given me. And from that, point, from that point on, our relationship has been good. The greater the greater reward here, the greater redemption is God has a purpose in all difficulty in our lives. God told me, he's, he's working. He bends in my hands. I got him covered. This is my job. Quit being anxious and trust my plan. And know that I'm working in you as well. He broke me. Just as Ben was broken, he broke me and gave me a new challenge. You know why? I don't know if this is a word for you guys or if it's just a word for me to summarize all that I was sharing. God put in my heart that broken people minister to well to broken people. I want to be there. I know Ben wants to be there as well. If you believe that you're here today and um, you're not broken, um, I'm going to tell you lovingly and graciously that you're, um, you're wrong. Uh, maybe you don't see it or um, God needs to bring that realization to you. Um, but there's no super Christians that uh, aren't dealing uh, and struggling in their lives. Um, that's the reality of the church. Um, let's, let's look back at um, the road to redemption. Just a couple things. Um, Bruce, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, and thanks for being here um, today. And let's look back at, at verse 17. Uh, a couple components to the road of redemption. Um, verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, talking about the younger brother, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Okay, so here, here's what he did. He, he began to embrace conviction. Okay, I believe conviction comes in our lives a lot. And I, and I think Ben would even say that conviction came in his life on, on numerous occasions. But there were times when, when he would suppress it, he would run from it, and not embrace it. And, and here... In this crisis moment for this younger brother, he came to the realization of what God was convicting him of, of his attempts to be his own savior. And he began to embrace the conviction in that crisis moment. It's the same thing that King David did, right? When he, when he, when he, against his, he sinned against Bathsheba, he's like, God, forgive me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Same thing in Psalm 16, verse 11. In his presence is fullness of joy. 
seeing that conviction and running to that pursuit of joy. Verse 18. Notice what he did after he embraced the conviction. I will rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he, while he was still a long way off, he, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and, I, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So what does he do? He runs to the father in repentance. But, um, but, but here's what's, here's what's kind of interesting. Like, I know you guys have done this. It's like you prep your thoughts. Okay, Megan Wagner calls it pre-praying, okay? Um, you know you do it. You like pre, you know, you're going to pray in a group and you like work up what, you know, I'm going to really, really impress these people I'm praying with, um, with this pre-prayer here. I know exactly what I'm going to say and then you, then you say it, right? That's what he did. So he's like, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to go through. I'm going to say this. He's like, no, like, that won't go over well. Like, he might, he might just punch me in the face. Um, and he's walking through exactly how he wants to, to go about it. And you guys have walked this road. Don't act like you haven't. And then he finally goes, which is commendable, right? Because we've walked that road several times and never actually gone, which isn't fully embracing conviction and isn't fully running to the Father in repentance. And notice what he said. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, now, now parallel that attitude, okay, with the reaction of the father. Okay, we know, we know well, what, what do we know about the father? Like old men in that culture and even this culture don't run, right? When's the last time you saw an old man running? <laughs> Maybe the other day, I don't know. Um, but they, in, the, in this culture, they, they didn't do that. So here's the father who's running after his son, so Danielle and I were, were dialoguing about this like 12.30 last night. Um, okay, think about this. We're wrestling through this. Is this humility? He's coming to him and he's like, make me your slave. I can just, you just see in the father's demeanor. He's like, no, heck no, I'm not going to make you a slave. You are my son. You, you have identity. There's nothing you can do to undo, to undo your sonship. Scripture says it's kept in heaven for you. And the Father's like, I'm running to you. And I'm grabbing a hold of you. In fact, what does he say? He says, go get the clothes. Go get the jacket. Go get the ring. Go get the shoes. When David in Psalm 51 says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Salvation depicts deliverance and rescue and safety. It's this idea of restored value and identity to proper relationship with the Father. Listen, I believe that one of the main reasons why we battle with sin the way we do is because we on a fundamental level don't understand our identity. Becoming in practice who you already are in God's eyes. And so he runs back to the father. He's like, father, make me a slave. And he's like, absolutely not. I gave my life for you. 
I will not undo what I've done. And it's interesting because apart from him running away, he might never have been restored. And I firmly believe that today. Some of you know the story of my, my brother-in-law. A guy who for, for years, you could have the biggest battles over scripture and theology and he'd argue it and, you know, and, and he got saved like five months ago. And it took an unbelievable tragedy in his journey to get him to realize that he wasn't okay. And he finally, praise God, ran to the Father. Verse 22 says this, The Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He's lost and he's found. He embraced his identity. What's his identity? He's a son. That's why he said, get the robe. A robe is a sign of position. Get the ring. It's a sign of authority. Get the shoes. You know who went barefoot? Slaves. The father said, no. You absolutely cannot be a slave because you are my son. Nothing can change that. He embraced his identity, and then what happened? 1524, they began to celebrate. They threw a party. They threw a party. Because in God's eyes, in the Father's eyes, this was his son. I'm sure there's been several parties in this family. But I want to ask you this question. I want you to look at these two lists. I just want to ask you, where's your journey at? Kyle, can you throw those up for me? The two lists, can you throw those up? Where are you at? What path are you on? What is your life composed of? Are you pursuing your own adventures, your own journeys, your own pursuits, a pursuit of destruction? Are you pursuing a life of conviction, repentance, and faith in the Father, and in His love, and in His embrace, and celebrating victory in your life? Listen, this is a process. It's a It's a journey. Like this, this road to redemption isn't this like, boom, let's, let's nail through the four steps and then we're good to go. It's a journey. It's a process of God continually drawing you back to him. You continually living life of embracing conviction and continually running to the Father in repentance and embracing your identity and celebrating. Over and over and over and over again. So if you're here today, and on some level you believe that God does not have the power to redeem, I pray that, that God would open your eyes. And as we unpack more stories in the weeks to come, and you see God's grace on display in our people's lives, in your family's lives, that we'd 
gain some faith in our God. And we'd pray a lot bigger, and we'd ask for greater things. And we, listen, that we would not be okay with this complacent, wishy-washy, God, as long as you're tagging along, we're good. Man, can I just tell you as lovingly as possible as your pastor, you're selling yourself short. Your pursuit to write your own story, to run your own road, and tag God along with it, the I can do all things through Christ, the, you know, we'll, we'll do this in the name of Jesus, but it's really in my name, and God's like, stop. I redeemed my son, crucified my son, to yank you out of your silly, worthless story, to give you a grand story that's wrapped up in my plan your identity quit acting like that's your identity just when you come here and you walk out the door and all of a sudden it's not for some reason that's your identity as a child of God let's pray God I thank you that you love us and I thank you that your power is on display. God, in Ben's life, God, in all of our lives, that you're writing a story of redemption, that you call us into your story, you call us to something so much greater. God, I pray for the person here today that's in the crisis moment. God, I pray that they would embrace conviction. God, I pray for the person today that's sitting along managing their sin. I pray that you would bring them to crisis. Bring them to the place against you. You only have I sinned. God, thanks for your faithfulness to us. We love you. We worship you in Christ's name. Amen.